everybody. Welcome to episode number 28 of of the Film Photography Podcast. This is the podcast for people who really, really, really love shooting with film. And this is the February 15th show, and I'm here with John Fideli and Dwayne Polkew. Uh, On today's show, we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff. We're going to have some of our regular departments like the uh, Book of the Month and the Darkroom Corner. I'm going to be touching a little bit on uh, Sprockets. Sprockets. Next episode of Sprockets, we dance. We're going to be talking about (laughs) developing Kodachrome film as black and white because unless you use it as an ornament on your desk, there's nothing... That's the only way to develop it anymore. Yeah, done. We're going to be talking about what I never knew about before. I didn't even know it existed. Kodak 828 film. What's that? 828? Yeah, what is it? It's one after 827. (laughs) Uh, This gives us an opportunity to take a quick break. Mm. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be reading some letters from our listeners. Great. Fantastic. It's new. It's now. It's Flash Cube. Flash Cube. Flash Cube. Only with the newest Kodak Instamatic cameras. Four full power flashes and one tiny cube. Flash Cube. It's this way, man. Drop in the film. Get yourself a Flash Cube. Pop it on. Take one, take two, take three, take four flash pictures without changing bulbs. In color, of course. Newest Instamatic camera outfits from less than $18, only from Kodak. Okay, we're back. Our first letter, and uh, thank you to our listeners. Uh, Listeners now, when they send letters in, they now phonetically spell their names, which is really the good thing to do. Which is very helpful, because the poor people who didn't. Because it's a problem area with some of us. Yeah. Uh, we have a letter from Brian Wickerbacker. Pliatius. Brian Pliatius. Pliatius. See, once you ro- it rolls on you off your tongue, Where it sounds great. Where's he from? I don't know. Oh, I was going to say, because that will help with the pronunciation. Brian is responding to uh, our topic we spoke a few shows about, which was a very important topic, and that is backing up your work mm-hmm. on digitally backups. Right. And we talked about John Fidelli's brother standing in the yard, clueless as to where any of his files were. Quite possible that John, that your brother wasn't even aware of where the files were on the camera he was Probably. holding in his hand. No, I think he may have. He knows about the camera. He oh, doesn't he does. know about Sorry, backup system. <laughs> yeah. He listens to the show. Yeah, he's going to punch me in the arm for that. Thanks. John, what's your gathering? What's with Mike? Uh, he's a jerk. Forget about him. Mark, shooting digital. Mark he doesn't Fidelli like you. is the most John Fidelli like out of the Fidelli crew. Yeah, he's, a, he's my mini me. So, this letter from Brian uh, talking about uh, backing up, he says, um, I was self employed in disaster recovery for small businesses, so backups and data redundancy is important to me. Oh my God. As it is keeping the price low enough for any small business person. My recommendation to everyone, as a bare minimum, is a no, is known as. By the way, this guy sounds really serious about backing stuff but up. This is you, his business. And this you is know what, what he does. Yeah, this is what you need to do. The, the bare minimum is the three-two-one strategy. Hmm. That equals three copies, two different media, one offsite. <laughs> that is like preparing for the apocalypse. <laughs> three-two-one strategy. Really, if you think of it. 
How many people, how many people, I mean, I'm sure this man knows exactly what he's talking yes. about, but how many people are going to go through three copies, three copies in two different media and one off site? That's so much work. <laughs> I think two, I think a copy, two, two media is a smart idea and one off site. If you have some, if, if you hold it near and dear to you, if, if you if, would lose it and it would absolutely kill you, then you need to do this. If you have spent your whole entire year scanning your images Can you night imagine? after night and these images you want to make into a book or you want to write, write, write something, or you know, if you you want to sell these eventually, or you want to blow them up to do a gallery display. Whatever you want to do with these, if they're that important to you, I'm totally 100% behind the whole one offsite. <clears throat> yeah, no doubt. Because God forbid, flood, fire, what else? And famine, locust, yes. theft, theft. You know, uh, misplacement. It is difficult. I will tell everyone out there, it is difficult to do. For the longest time, when I was running my DVD business. And we were uh, had media, film media, uh, meaning tapes, uh, large, you know, master tapes of actual movies. I ran the three, two, one strategy. Yeah. I had one copy of every film we ever produced off-site. Where did you keep it? I kept it. Don't uh, tell him. <laughs> He'll steal it. Well, I think that's a, a viable question for, for many people. They're thinking, okay, that's great, well, but where do I put this? Well, now we're getting into a much bigger question, and this gets, you know. Can we talk about um, like storage places online? Well, we'll oh, that. hold that thought. <gasps> I kept my off-site media at a temperature-controlled storage facility. Someone like uh, Bruce from Ascent Media may say, well, what's the relative humidity? And I've even gone as, fa- to f- as far as buying relative humidity meters, which give you the temperature and relative mm-hmm. humidity, because in something it's like a f- for film, you want the relative humidity, I believe, to be somewhere, I could be wrong, somewhere in like uh, 25 to 35%. You don't want it to be too dry. You don't want it to be too moist. Hmm. All these Just things. like a good coffee cake. Exactly. <laughs> Or a bunt cake. Now, this is from Brian. My personal strategy, automatic nightly backup to the internet with Jungle Disk. That's jungledisk.com. Sounds exciting. It's called Aperture Library on Laptop, Complete Bootable Mirror Fortnightly, Aperture Vault Backup on the other Fortnite, and After Large Edit or Import Session, also an Aperture Backup on my 4 terabyte. NAS storage server every month or so. Do you know what a Fortnite is? Yes, I do. That's what the, that's what our podcast is. It's every two weeks. That's right. <laughs> I got it right. Yeah. Do I win a, a uh, Holga? All, all, <laughs> alternates to Jungle Disk include Back Blaze and Carbonite. It's just a smart thing to do and magically works in the background. There are some programs you could run on your computer that automatically back up your data, makes a mirror of it. If, let's say, you have a few terabytes <coughs> of... Uh, Can I talk about Macs for a minute, Mike? Max Diner? No, Mac computers. Yes. They have a thing called Time Capsule. Oh, I'm sure, it's a, I'm sure it's special, John. <laughs> it is. You can schedule your computer to wirelessly back up to a separate hard drive or wired hard drive. The ones that they try and sell you, I think, are a terabyte now. Listen... I have nothing. They immediately back. You don't even have to think about backing you it up. You don't, have, you don't have to sweat it, though. You don't have to say, oh, my God, uh, I just dumped in 100 new pictures. I really got to back this up sometime. Because it'll do it for you. Do you do this? Do you do this? Yes. And where does it back it up to? To whatever you you dedicate something. Okay. And you plug it in, You put, and then the uh, software comes up and says, is this the, the hard drive you want to do it to? Why is it Apple people always have to make you feel like I'm not trying to make you feel. I'm just trying to be helpful. I just want you to know that on the PC side, the same stuff exists. It's not like... I'm sure it does. 
But they have a name for it. It's called Time Capsule mm -hmm. with Mac. They have a little icon that when you go over to it, it gets bigger. Yes. Well, thank you, Brian. I think it's important to back up your media. So if you're scanning your media, first and foremost, the most important thing is <coughs> at least back it up once. At least make a copy of it in case your computer blows up because data recovery is very expensive. Back that stuff up. <laughs> thank you. This is a letter from uh, Jeff Glass. He says, I just want to let you know how much I liked your interview with April Lee Hutchinson. You guys made it about the content and emotional impact of her work rather than the technique. Well, that's what she's all about, though, isn't it? Yes. It was more about where her art comes from than where her camera comes from. And I think that kind of interview is very rare on photography podcasts. Mm. Good on you, man. Do more of it. Talk about photos as well as cameras. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, this past January, April was in New York City, a few miles from here, and I was supposed to go meet her to do some street photography, but instead I was shivering in bed with the flu. <laughs> Shame. It is. It is. Uh, April is from Ontario, uh, London, but, Ontario. But the interview was from when you went to visit her up That's there. correct. That's correct. So um, look to our show notes, and I'll put a link to April's work. And uh, thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, that I really appreciate the feedback because it says that, hey, mm -hmm. you know what? It was worth me doing that trip. It was worth me talking to photographers. That's good. And although it's difficult to get out of the studio to actually do these things because of time, expense, uh, energy, um, I want to make sure that in 2011 that I at least, you know, we do something else. Leave the studio at least once. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John. You're welcome. Yes. Here's a letter from Stephen Ting. Steve Ting. Michael and the rest of the Film Photography Podcast crew. My name is Steve Ting. And I live all the way in New Zealand. I love film Wait, photography, course, yeah. and I really enjoy your podcast each week. Keep up the good work, as it is a good source of inspiration, especially when a roll of color negative film here costs about $18 a roll. Aye. Oh, my goodness. Is that true? I didn't know that. Uh, Steve also managed to shoot nine rolls of Kodachrome Super 8 film that he's now transferring right. to DV Cam. Oh, he got his uh, Kodachrome back? Uh, yes, he's transferring it now. By the way, folks out there who, who were part of the, uh, the last batch, the last batch of Kodachrome film was supposedly run December 30th. Now, now, I know that their machines kept running because a man walked in on December 30th into Dwayne's with 1,500 rolls of film. Oh, my God. How and many? A, a man walked into Dwayne's photo on December 30th, 2010 with 1,500 rolls of film and a check for $15,000. Oh, if that guy gets every one of his rolls developed and I don't get mine done, I'm going to find that guy. So that pushed the, the development process. So anyone that sent their... Yeah, but the problem was they ran... It's not like they, they didn't want to do it anymore. They're running they, behind. They, but they ran out of the development chemicals. I like there is no more. Who's our pal over at uh, Kodak? Scott. Scott DiSabato. I spoke to Scott at the PDN Don't show. Don't tell me this is a scam. No, there's no, what? no I, sp I said, Scott, what's the story <gasps> on the chemistry? He's like, with Kodachrome chemistry, actually, the more it runs, the better it is because it likes to keep active. And he's like, they have enough chemicals. They estimated... December They didn't 30th. estimate the 1,500 extra rolls. Wow. But I'm sure they had enough. But that imagine, if you go online onto the YouTube, you'll see the last day at, uh, at Dwayne's, there were people like... Outside, yeah. hanging off the building. Crying. Please, please. <laughs> there were like 20 people outside. Had a candlelight vigil. Yeah, they did a tour. 
and their 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 mail room was mobbed buckets and buckets of like film coming in could you imagine what's like opening up those each individual and like processing the orders man no so just everyone out there who's by this time you, you must have your film we do tape these shows before the actual date of air so john just sit tight all right and you'll be fine i'll calm down but i'm a little anxious now that you told me that story about that guy with the 1500 rolls and 15,000 yeah but he's like i got the money right here so <laughs> i'm getting in the front of the line <laughs> Dwayne's like yeah now i can buy new teeth <laughs> Andrew from no, the me. UK tipped me off to uh, a camera I never heard of. He says, uh, Gnome, K-N-O-M-E, as you may know, made enlargers in the UK, which were the mainstay of amateur photo developers through the 50s and 60s. But they also made Gnome? cameras that were the competition to the brownie known as the Gnome and the Baby Gnome Baby. And they were little box cameras. The baby gnome, gnome baby? baby? Yeah. No, no, the, the baby gnome. Oh, okay. And you can go to ebay.com. Wasn't that your mom's nickname for you, baby gnome? <laughs> <laughs> we'll call him baby gnome. Baby gnome. So I went to eBay, <laughs> ebay.com forward slash UK, and you'll go to the British eBay. <clears throat> and lo and behold, you can get a baby gnome. What does it look like? Can it I see? It looks like a little box camera. Yeah, it sure does. Look at that. Here's that joke. Wake up behind the camera. Huh? It's a very small picture, but it's a little box camera called the Baby Gnome. That Looks takes like a uh, bass speaker. That takes 620 film. Look at that. Check it out. That's huh. pretty awesome. What Just, do you think about that? I really love finding odd little cameras that you don't never knew existed yeah. and getting them in you your hands. You think you'd exhaust... The, ca- the camera nope. possibilities. They just but keep no. popping up. They just keep on coming. <laughs> so I want to thank everyone for the letters. Uh, why don't we mix it up a bit, Dwayne? Let's do that for the yeah, love let's, of... Let's do the book of the month. Yeah, let's do the pick of the month. Book of the month. Book of the month. Book of the month. It's time for Dwayne's book of the month. <coughs> what is the book of the month? We talk about photographers and we talk about books. Most of them are men, aren't they? Yes. Because there are not that many women who I think are attracted to photography in that format. Wow. This book is by a wonderful photographer named Imogen Cunningham. She's, of course, a She's woman. an old woman. Well, that was that. taken... A picture was taken of her when she was much, much older. Her forte was photographing... Flowers. Flowers and plants. Plant life. In, in an exquisite, very, very dynamic... Bordering on abstract graphical quality to them. going to turn the page. And uh, anyway, uh, I like this book for one of the reasons is, of course, it's it's a woman's point of view. You know, I don't know that there's any difference between looking at flowers and and pictures of plants that are photographed by... But look at how beautiful the one on the left is. My God, it just had such a... Hmm. A, a quality to it that's very stark and it's very graphic. Very striking. And a gra- again, just you know, lovely use of tonality. And she produced a huge body of work documenting uh, flora throughout her career. And she's very well known as an art photographer. I'm, uh, she's in a household name. I mean, if you mention Imogen Cunningham to most people, they've never heard of her. Yeah. But uh, she's very well known in the West Coast, the Monterey Peninsula uh, photography scene out there. And I just thought it would be nice to show some pictures that were taken by someone that isn't a guy. And how did you first uh, learn of Imogen Cunningham? I was reading a book about Ansel Adams. And Ansel Adams had a great sense of humor. 
Okay. And Did he, he really? also liked you wouldn't think no, so. you wouldn't he had think. tremendous sense of humor. Really? He, wrote, he wrote a lot of very funny letters to people. There was an old man from Nantucket. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of humor. And he, I thought there was a Polaroid he took of Imogen Cunningham says, Imogen dying from exposure to Polaroid. And it was her laying on a bed as though she was dead with really? like Polaroids around her. And I said, who is Imogen Cunningham? And I went to a bookstore and I found this book and I was exposed to her amazing photography. You know, that's how I found that about That's it. fantastic. Good on you. Is this book still in print? I don't know. It's probably 10 years old. Okay. It's beautifully published. Thank you, Dwayne. Vivian Meyer, Chicago, New York, uh, New York and Chicago street photographer. Dwayne, when you see her images... They are going to be put side by side by the most famous street photographers out there. Stunning photography of Chicago 1950s. Stunning. Well, if you go to the Google. The Google. If you go to Google and Google Vivian Meyer, M-A-I-E-R, you will come up to a, a few different pieces, including New York Times, all the major newspapers, reporting on the fact that a gentleman named John Maloof won her images in an auction. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of images and boxes. What did he pay for it? Uh, I don't know what he paid for it. Boxes and boxes and boxes of roll film undeveloped. <gasps> she was a nanny, in and Chi- on her day off, she would photograph. In Chicago, during yes. what period of time? The 1950s through the 1990s. And is she has she since deceased? She died two years ago. Her estate sold these? Who sold these? Her estate, well, I don't know if she had any money, so to speak. So basically, well, when you pass away, everything goes to an auction, uh, an estate sale. I don't know the logistics of it, but uh, nothing was thought of this until John Maloof came along and said, oh, these are pretty nice pictures. I, I believe he bought some, and then he in, he thought they were so fantastic that he went back and bought the rest. Now, I don't know if there are still pockets of pictures out there that other people bought, but John Maloof has the majority of her images, which are thousands. He spent a year already just scanning, Dwayne. Wow. A year. I hope he backed up. Yes, John. And what is his intent? To, to market these? Is, his is intent is to... I don't know. Well, right now he's making... Should be. He's making a, f- a feature film, a film about Vivian Meyer, mm-hmm. uh, him and a partner, and... I'd go see that. Sounds very interesting. And I believe there's a gallery show in Chicago. There either was or is... Use the Google to find out this information on Vivian Meyer, M-A-I-E-R. Now major museums are are putting up uh, shows of Vivian's work. And she has no descendants? Not that I'm aware of. Not married. Originally from France. Her parents from from France. They moved to New York. And then she moved to Chicago to be a nanny. And she would walk around with a roll of flex and mm. shoot. And this, the images, Dwayne, when you see them, I mean, it's classic Americana. You're going to die. You'd be like, oh my God. Hey, I want to tell everyone out there, uh, filmphotographypodcast.com is our, uh, is our website. We are also on Flickr.com. We have a group on Flickr. And uh, we have two more days to enter what's known as our FPP print exchange, which is run by listener Michael Kalea. We know Michael. We met him at the PDN show, Dwayne and I. And he's kind enough to uh, donate his time to organizing this. And you may say, well, what is a print exchange? And that is it just, as, just as it sounds. Uh, you'll get put on a list and you'll get, you'll get uh, a name will be picked of where you will send a print, a print of your work to someone else. And then someone else will be randomly picked, and they'll be sending you a print. Pretty cool. Good way to acquire new art. Yes, has to be. Yes, has to be any type of analog photography, any type of film photography can be printed any way, digitally or uh, traditionally, or could be a Polaroid. And if you want to get in on that, go to uh, Flickr.com, join, join Flickr.com. It's free. 
look up in groups film photography podcast then look in the threads fpp print exchange number two while we're talking about stuff that's going on i want to let everyone know that every month starting march 1st we're going to be doing a drawing and giving film away and that's because so many fpp listeners out there have sent film in that i've basically been compiling the film in the fridge now we have you enough. Take a picture of your fridge. I will take a picture of the fridge. I'll put it on the show notes. Show notes, baby. So just all you have to do is send an email to filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com and uh, let us know a um, little bit about yourself and what you do with film photography. Let us know what you shoot, 135 or 120 film, and uh, we'll pick you out of the hat and send you a, a roll of film. That's kind of cool, right? That'd be fun. And it could be E6. E6. Us, uh, you know, transparency film. It'll be a grab bag. You it, don't know. Yeah, it could be black and white. Uh, it could be C41 color print film. C41. So we don't know what you're going to get. It could be expired. Cross-process it. Cross-dress. Exactly. Cross-dress in the mirror. Cross-process. Exactly. Very quickly, before we move on to some topics, uh, we are running contests this month to give stuff away. We have a Holga 120N camera Mm. that was donated by Jason. It's a a Holga 120. By the way, just in case anybody wants to see it, this is what the Holga 120 looks like. It was donated by Jason. I own one of these myself, and I love it. Dwayne owns one, too. Yes. Yes. You can uh, win the Holga 120N with a roll of 120 roll film by sending your name, address, and a little bit about yourself to the Film Photography Podcast at gmail.com. And we're going to give it away next show on the first. Give it away, give it away, give it away, give it away now. Next show. A lot of people are excited about, and there's a whole cult behind what's known as the Olympus Trip 35. The Trip 35 has its own group on Flickr. People <laughs> love shooting. People are getting so excited, Mike, they can hardly contain themselves. I'm not What's kid- your favorite planet? Bob's, <laughs> Bob's the sun. <laughs> Dwayne, I'm not kidding around. People that are into trip, they're known as trippers. They're tripping they, all right. They're tripping down the street. <gasps> they got a hold of some fire. People who shoot with the Trip 35 are really enthusiastic. And they're a nice bunch, too. They're not all flaring up on uh, the Flickr.com like some other groups. Flaring up. There is on, 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 you know, we talked about this in the past. There are on some bulletin boards and post sites uh, a little passive-aggressive uh, behavior. Yeah, people are there's a great. It, there's a great line in the movie uh, Social Network. Oh, I'd like fake, to see that. It's a wonderful film. He he trashes his girlfriend who breaks up with him, okay. which was uh, the reason why he, he made Face Mash at Harvard to, to rate other girls, and that led to Facebook. He, he starts to get well-known for creating these websites, and he sees his girlfriend in a bar. Oh. And she said, she said something to the effect of, well, you know, people just sit in, in ang- sit in anger and vent on the internet in dark rooms through people do today. Oh, she didn't think that people won't do anything social like a Facebook. She just was saying that this is how people interact, yeah. invent, invent themselves. They just sit in a dark room and they, they type on a keyboard. Mm. You know, and I, I just, it was kind of a chilling moment in that film when she said that because it's, it's so true. There, there is a lot of interesting things going on from a passive-aggressive perspective on, on Facebook. For example, let's say... On all, you, on all sites in general. Yes. Let's say you're a photographer or, or someone's a professional amateur and you post a picture on Facebook. People have been getting their pictures removed because people that are jealous of their work They'll contact Facebook and tell them something like, It's unauthorized. Or, It's illegally being used. Like people do nasty things. I post images on... Facebook. A, a photo bucket. Oh, f- photo bucket. To use the... Uh, <laughs> The URL, <laughs> to use the URL from it to post on another yes, site. Yes. And photos are removed for no reason. I can why? see no reason a why nu- they're removed. Any nudity? 
No, not even a suggestion of it. And I don't know why they're removed. People and, are petty. And for some reason, they're just not there anymore. Let's not talk about those yes. people. Let's talk about the people that are, are in our community. In our community. I don't like you. And that's what is fantastico about Film Photography Podcast is that um, really there's no uh, f- No animosity. Flaring. It's like, look, you know, we're here to have fun, yeah. to explore film photography. You're more than invited to go flame in some other group. Who do you think you are with your film <laughs> and your, your ad for clacks and your Holgas? What what's wrong with your Holga? So, um, uh, film photography Daddy podcast. Daddy never loved me. We're on the Flickr. We're on the Facebook. We're all over the f- Flickr in place. <laughs> <laughs> we're giving away the Holga 120N uh, this month. I just mentioned that. The Olympus Trip 35. That was uh, uh, donated by our good yeah. friend from the UK, Ian Cook. Ian? Yes. As he is, is he excited about it as I am? Yes. Ian is a real tripper. I don't think he's as excited about it, it as you are. It is a day. No. He's a, anyone that shoots with the Olympus Trip is excited about any I'd mention. I'd like to take that camera for a test run. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So, uh, it's just a selenium. Film a photography podcast at gmail.com. Yo. You just need to send your name, mailing address, and a little bit about your film photography to be, uh, you know, to be entered Eligible. into the contest. Yes. Put in the header, uh, you know, the name of the item you want to win. And if you want to win more than, if you want to try to win some other items, just make sure you send an individual email for each contest. One email does not fit all. Yeah, you can't say... Enter me in the contests. Hi, Mike. Enter me in the contest. Enter me in the contest. I forgot what they were. Thanks. Also, third contest, which is uh, sponsored by our good friends at Lamography.com. Last show, I explained that the Diana was stopped production in the 1970s. So I was curious because I know that it's being sold today. So I called up Laura Nealon at uh, Lamography.com, who Dwayne and I met at the PDN show in New York City. And I said, Laura, what is going on with Diana? It says here at the Wikipedia that they stopped production of it yet i see you guys selling it what is the score what's going on she said well they started production again in 2007 and now it's available again i said laura will you send one to fpp so we can give it away and she said yes so we're giving away a diana plus all you need to do is send in your your what do you what do we need to what does someone need to do john to enter they need to send in an email with in the heading they write Diana giveaway. What else in the email, John? What do we want to know? Oh, you know, what they like to do with photography, a little bit about themselves, yes. who they are, and why they would like to have this camera. And a mailing address. Please. And a mailing address, yes. Yep. And if you have a dirty limerick, yep. throw that in there. Couldn't hurt. Couldn't hurt. I once met a man from China. <laughs> Moving right along. Well, I should really do our featured uh, camera this, this month. Featured camera! Yes. Hey, Bob, what's your favorite featured camera? Well, let me make Bob's a hog. Make some more room here. Today I'm going to be talking about. You did that good. That's a good Thank one. You. I'm going to set up all my props here oh, for our feature segment, so that I can, you know, talk about it. Exactly. I'm setting up my props. Okay, I'm ready when you guys are. Today I'm going to be talking about a 28 film. People may be asking, well, what is a 28 film? I've never heard of it, and quite frankly, I never heard of it either before I saw uh, the Kodak Pony 828 camera on eBay. (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, the Pony is a camera that was developed in the late 40s, uh, early 1950s. And of course, it was designed by Arthur Crapsey, who uh, designed many of the Bakelite cameras for mm-hmm. Kodak. Senor Crapsey. Exactly. 828 film. Uh, it was introduced in 1935, only one year after 35mm. And uh, it was uh, introduced for the Kodak Bantam camera. Now, the format is the basic film stock of 35mm. I'm going to show it to you here. How old is that film that you have right uh, there? This film in my hand uh, is from 1975, and the film, 828 film, was uh, made only up. It was made up until 1985. They discontinued it. That's hard to believe, right? Uh, that it even lasted that long. Yeah, I've never heard of it in my life. Right, it's, it's shocking. So this is. The same basic film stock as 35mm, but the film lacks sprockets. No sprockets? No sprockets. Look at, look at this old-timey film case. Look at that. Look at that. It's great. So, A28 film is the same... Paperback. Paperback. Look at that. And it's the same exact size as 35mm, except the sprocket holes are slotted differently. Huh. And it's paperback just like 120 film with your numbers on the back. Uh, however, 828 film, each roll yielded 8 frames, which really isn't a lot. No. What was the dimension of, of the image that was uh, produced on it? You know what, Dwayne? I'm really glad you asked that. The 828 film produces a 30% larger image compared to 135 standard 24 really? by 36 millimeter. Yep. Yep. I wonder why this never really caught on. Yet on this, yet, yep. Because Kodak targeted 828 at a lower end consumer market, the film was much shorter and at the standard 8 exposures per roll. It originally had one perforation per frame, much like 126 film. It's a roll film, as you can see, just like 120. A28 cameras never achieved widespread popularity, and the format had a rather limited run. Shocking that it lasted until 85. I mean, if you, you know, I was into photography, of course, in the early 80s, and if you'd mentioned A28 to me, I'd never heard of it. Now, what you can do, and this is what I did because I really wanted to use the Kodak Pony 828 camera, which is a lovely camera. You have uh, your shutter speeds. You have uh, B, 25th of a second, 50th of a second, 100th of a second, or 200th of a second. And you can choose your f-stops from f4.5 up until f22. It has a Kodak Aniston lens, 51 millimeters, and uh, you can focus right here. You just guess the feet. It's very uh, tough-looking camera. It is, right? It's tough I mean, it looks looking. like a army camera. Yeah, it, it, it really does. Like you could drop that sucker in a puddle and it'll still work. Now, I really wanted to... Um, here's a little the box that it came with. Very box. The Kodak yellow box. El Caballo 828. Yes. Now, I wanted to shoot with this camera. So, believe it or not, you can find Co- you can find Kodak and other brands of 828 film on the eBay.com. And many of them are so amazingly ex- expired that you may not want to shoot with it. And in this case, it's the old Kodachrome, Kodachrome 2. Mm which wasn't even the K14. It was a different K processing. And what you can do is you, you, what you want to get is the spool and the backing paper. And then in a dark room or in a film-changing bag, you can very easily take, ideally, a 12-exposure roll of Kodak or any other brand film. And because the 12-exposure is the same length as what's on this uh, paper, you don't have to do any excess cutting or figure out you know, how long is it going to be. You can basically take a 12 exposure roll of film, ASA of your choice, and then in the dark room, just take the old film out, and uh, this is the head. And the film is always taped at the head, by the way. And at the end of the film, it always just dangles. Not taped. Not taped. And this film is so old that you can see the curl of it. Yeah. 
is uh, rather intense. But, uh, you know, the zen of the uh, film changing bag or the zen of the darkroom, because a lot of folks, myself included, at first, you know, you get a little, you can get a little perplexed in a film changing bag because you can panic. I mean, you can easily panic or, you know. Uh, have to itch your nose. Yeah, no, absolutely. Have to itch your nose. Every itch you ever had will happen when your hand's in a bag. Absolutely. But the best <clears throat> thing that I always do, because I tend to have to itch my nose or get a little panicky, is uh, take a deep breath. I'm not kidding. Take a deep breath and just kind of relax. Now, when you roll your film back, sometimes you run into some problems. Like right now, I'm rolling to the head of my roll. Of the buckling, see that? No problem. No problem. You just take the tape off and then just smooth it out and then retape it down so that it rolls back on the roll nice and easy. Will that tape restick? Well, you'll be putting a new roll. Oh. So, as a matter of fact, I'll show you right here. You just un undo the tape. Amazingly, this roll of film, manu manufactured probably sometime in 1974, the tape is still good. Look at that. So now I'm taking the tape off, and now I can smooth out my roll so that there's no buckle. There it is. And then roll it back on. Now, for the purposes of today's show, I uh, preloaded a roll of film in a 35 millimeter little can. I kept it in my refrigerator and uh, I rolled a roll of Kodak uh, Max 400 film, which is uh, it's expired. Uh, I bought it from an eBay seller. Uh, there are a massive amount of 35 millimeter film, by the way, on eBay that is expired. A lot of closeouts, like you know, like companies like Rite Aid, CVS, major uh, drug stores, they bought so much film that it stockpiles and then it winds up in what's called odd lots. Mm -hmm. So I bought a big box of uh, Kodak Max 400. So now, really quick, I'm going to load the uh, Kodak Pony 828 camera, which right now is my favorite camera uh, as of this moment right now. <coughs> and uh, with the Kodaks, you just, there's a little switch on the side that pop opens the back door, which comes right off. Check it out. Huh. Look at that, huh? huh? And then you would put your film in on the take-up side, which goes right here. Okay, get a good one, get it in there. The best thing to, to know when doing stuff like this, when you're kind of unfamiliar with what's going on, is to not lose your cool. You can't lose your cool with this kind of stuff. You gotta just like be patient and kind of like make sure you're in a very patient kind of zen kind of mood before you get involved with this old timey kind of stuff. Because you don't no, want to be. Yoho, yeah, what you just did. You couldn't get it in, so you just calmly took it yeah, out. I didn't panic. Start all over again, Thank man. Thank you, John. So I'm gonna put it in. It just slips right in. Chill out. There it is. It's in. Now it's I fine. pull it over. Good vibes. Put the uh, take up end in oh, the yeah. uh, spool. Smooth. Right here. Yeah. I don't know if you can the see. The way of the film, Mike. Use the way. Film. Thank you, guys. And then you start rolling it. Roll. Roll another one. Roll your own, Mike. Roll now your see, own. They see it's. Oh, it's working. Ooh. Amazing. Because uh, you are one with the camera okay. and the film. Oh, squeak away, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm trying to get it so that it's, it's kind of tight. Yeah, it's kind of bulging there. Oh, look at that. It, look at you. You it did it. It didn't, didn't do it. See, now I thought that I did it. Nope. Nope. <laughs> didn't go. Didn't so, go. Didn't go. Don't, don't lose it. Start again. So I just start again. I just back it up. Come on. Oh, here we go again. Now what you could do. <laughs> this <laughs> camera. This freaking camera. What you could do. It's the fifth time in a row. Ladies and gentlemen, is take a really small piece of tape. Just tape it to and the uh, take-up reel. any roll film. Spool. Yeah, you could just take a really... This is paper tape. It's known as paper tape. Green paper tape. Yep. Green paper tape. Kind of just... 
you can see. Just tape that spool. Yeah, just just take the tape and... Got to move those uh, gorilla fingers. Eh? I know, I know. I got to move the gorilla fingers. Kind of just tape it to the spool. There you go. It's on the spool. And that's going to make it a little bit easier to take up. See, now that now we're that's cooking. It. Now that's you it. got it. Oh, see, the pressure of the camera will keep the, that The in. pressure. Yes. <laughs> So now I'm going to put the door back on the camera. Put the camera back together. Put the camera back together. This little button here on the side. And now I could roll. Here's, uh, believe it or not, this is the first time I've seen a little green window. Yeah. Going. I've always seen red windows. This camera will self-destruct in 10 seconds. Well, the film, the backing was green. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to. Roll my film until I get to n number one. Can you let me know when you see number one? Uh, I can't see. Okay. I'll, yeah, I'll do, have to do it. You'll do, can you see? Keep going. That's, one's, one is very easy. Uh -oh. to, I can't. It's too far away. Okay. I'm gonna, wait. I'm going to really quick. I'll show everyone number one when I get to it. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at number one. Uh, number one. Exciting. It just so happens that uh, in our very uh, bright studio today, I uh, did a light measurement with my uh, Gossen Luna Pro F. Gossen Luna Pro F. And I'm going to take a, a picture of uh, John Fideli and Dwayne. Uh, you guys are about uh, five feet from me. Really? Six? Four. No, four. four yeah, four max. And this camera, you, uh, you set the shutter manually here. You just uh, pull this thing down here. Watch this. Shutter is now set. I'm at 50th of a second. Take a picture of John and Dwayne with our twins. Look this way, gentlemen. That's good, John. One, two, three. Now, another thing uh, I need to note about older cameras, you know, camera like this, 1950, is sometimes... They you smell. Get, well, you could get a, a camera that has a musty smell. Yeah. But, but the biggest problem is what's known as a sticky shutter, Dwayne. Mm. Yes. A little I, alcohol? I brought well. No, I don't. I'm Rubbing not good alcohol. at repairing. You can get some oil on your shutter. You really? I don't. Me personally, I don't know what to do except cry. <laughs> Come on. Now this shutter, I don't know if it is accurate fiftieth of a second. It seems kind of slow to me. The thing with that is something that's that old is it's got so much lubricant crud that's been since dried out on it that it's probably uh, interfering with the mechanisms moving smoothly. And for you to get that, first of all, you got to find someone who's going to clean it. Who knows how? They probably can't. And even if you did, it would be so costly. Yeah, it's like kind of jittery. It's like. You know, it's it's um it's, it's worth, jumping. It's it would cost really more to repair snapping. that shutter than it would be to get yes. a new camera. Now I, you know, without without filming the camera, I put it on the different shutters, and all the shutter speed, speeds kind of seem the same to me. You were mentioning many shows ago, Dwayne, some type of instrument that shines a beam to measure your shutter for accuracy. Do you remember what that was called? That's called a uh, shutter speed tester. Yeah, I, I'm going to really look into to to maybe getting one because I'd be very interested. It shines up. I believe it's a laser beam of light. Yep. And then you uh, set the camera on the various shutter speeds and the beam of light shines into the shutter and it, it measures the duration of time between when the shutter opens and it right. closes by breaking that beam of light. And then you could test. And they, it tells you the speed of it. Yeah. It just reads it out on a little digital display, the speed of the uh, shutter. I, I will tell you that I took the, the Pony 828 camera out into the last month in the cold, bitter cold January weather just to, uh, you know, shoot around town and uh, the cold shut it down. Probably froze the lubricant inside of it. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the shutter, I would, I would press my shutter and it would just stay open. 
and then sluggishly like go back to, you know close but but in the uh in the warm weather here in the studio it seems to be working just fine i'm currently testing this the pony 828 camera with uh the re-rolled 828 film uh if you're really into film photography and like old-timey cameras it's really a lot of fun to kind of take these out for a spin and sometimes you'll be amazingly surprised at the amazing pictures that some of these older lenses deliver sometimes they're crystal sharp sometimes they're kind of a little dreamy like because Sometimes a mold uh, mm. forms on the inside of the lens, so it actually softens your image. So it's sort of like... Uh, it's one of a kind. Yeah, it's one of a kind. You're, you're, you're experimenting and going to get a one of a kind image, which is sort of the whole lamography thing of you know going out there and shooting from the hip and you don't know what you're going to get. But I always find this to be more fun because you're shooting with a piece of history. You're resuscitating something that was uh, kind of on its way to a garbage bin. In other words, we're recycling here as well. You're saving this... Mm from being put into a landfill. You could own actually a piece of uh, history as far as the way the camera looks, feels, and shoots. And uh, that's my segment on the Kodak Pony 828 camera. But do you think people are going to be uh, cherishing digital cameras? No. 40, 50 years from now? No. People are just going to throw them out. Because they're obsolete six, they're obsolete six months after you, you buy them. I mean, there's, there's no... I, I was going to say that, John. There's no... There's no, there's no uh, don't you keep your old cell phones? Actually, I, I looked on eBay, uh, speaking of cell phones, I looked on eBay for a uh, 1980s cell phone as a prop, just to mm. have, because they're like a brick. Yeah. So, yeah, from that perspective, I think there's always going to be a m museum that will have digital cameras that people will ha you know, have on hand. But I don't think people are going to want to you know, be shooting with them, yeah. because I think unless they figure out a way to keep the technology working, mm -hmm. I mean, I have uh, digital equipment that is five years old that craps out on me. Really? And when they built Hasselblad cameras, they built them to last you your career. Yes. And when they built, they sell digital cameras now, they sell them with the intent that you're going to get a new one in two years. Right. So I think people, when they buy something, they automatically have sort of a, a sense of, of, there's no sentimentality to it. It's just like, right. I, I know I'm going to get rid of this soon. What do you think the digital market's going to be in a couple of years now that cell phones are so incredibly precise? Well, what's already happening is camera companies are putting themselves out of business. And what, why they're doing that is because, and what they've done is, perhaps you've seen them in photography magazines, is that they've made, they look like point-and-shoot cameras. They have mid-level digital sensors in them, mm. high-quality lenses, but they have no viewfinder. So what that does is it removes the optical viewfinder, it removes the bulk and the cost of the optical viewfinder because they now have live view on an LCD screen in the back. What you're going to see are the full-frame sensors, mm -hmm. the 24 million pixel sensors that you see on high-end Nikon, high-end Canon EOS cameras in those little point-and-shoots. They're going to have great lenses on them because they right. do already, right. and you're going to have Canon EOS Mark III quality and a $1,000 camera. And by making these things, someone's going to say, well, why am I going to you know, pony up $8,000 yeah. for a high-end digital SLR? Pony up. Pony. <laughs> when I'm getting the same image quality, in a, a sub $1,000 camera. The thing is, people will buy them when they want the ruggedness of a, of a magnesium alloy body and, and the, you know, the thermal and, and uh, humidity seals. Right. But the, the image quality will be really the same. Mm. If you, I've seen some of the image quality from those little cameras, and they're stunning really? for digital. It's, they're stunning. Wow. Years you know? ago, families had the family camera. And by the time you were in your teens or uh, early adulthood, maybe your family had 
I don't know, two, three cameras tops. Yeah. At least my family. You know, they had a Polaroid camera. They had an Instamat- one or two Instamatic cameras. Yeah. And that was it. That's one tenth. Yeah. Not a lot of cameras. Not like it is today with yeah. buying things, uh, you know, fast and quick. Yeah. Uh, so that's my report on the Kodak Pony 828 camera. And uh, Messier? Yeah. Oh, it's kind yeah, of heavy. You, you haven't yeah. gotten any um, any uh, film back from shooting out of that camera? Yes, I have. And? It looks pretty good. Oh. Pretty good. Well, I guess the pretty shutter good. isn't that sticky. No, it's not. I also have a Kodak Pony 2 camera that takes 35 millimeter. <laughs> you would have to move the uh, paper ahead to the next frame. Dwayne is experimenting with the Kodak 828 Pony camera. <laughs> uh, what else? Cock the shutter. Go on, cock it. Now, when you, when you shoot it, make sure you kind of give it kind of fast. Nice. Not bad, right? Did it go? Yeah. It's, I, uh, it's I, very unsatisfying. I saw the sh- shutter open and close. The Kodak A28 Pony, uh, yeah, you may say, well, it's kind of unsatisfying, but I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. I can't <laughs> get no satisfaction. Right. So, so that segment, thank you very much, Kodak A28 Pony. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> I want to talk very quickly about uh, one of our listeners uh, published a book. Wow, cool. Called 52 Cameras in 52 Weeks. This is published by Blurb. And if you're a photographer and you have a book, you could publish your book, self-publish it through Blurb. Now, what I love about this book is the fact that uh, Tony, the author, Tony Kemplin, the author of this book, uh, he came up with a project. So it's not just a random book or like a scrapbook of his. He came up with a project. I'm going to use 52 cameras in 52 weeks. Wow, that's cool. And what sold me is this image. I've always loved this image that (laughs) Tony shot. Probably because here in New Jersey, I'm a fan of the Uncle Floyd show. It's Oogie. It's Oogie. Now, Tony, you may not know this, but that's Oogie. And I always thought that Oogie was a one-of-a-kind puppet. Apparently not. Clearly, Oogie has some siblings. <laughs> and Tony, you own one. My God, what I would do to have my own Oogie. Wow. If you look through the book, you'll see that Tony uses all sorts of different cameras, some plastic cameras. Handsome book. Yeah, it's a very handsome book. And he gives an example of each one. Here's the Zeiss Iconta camera. Yes, you can. Yes. Here is a, a Trilogy 3D 1000 camera. You know, some wacky looking cameras. Huh. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Yep. I remember those crazy things. Yep. So I just wanted to show everyone. Here's the unnamed toy camera. You can find these sometimes at junk sales. And sometimes they, they print, you know, they make uh, for some good images. Yeah, it's nice. And that's a blurb book. This is a blurb book. It's very well, well yeah. done. You go to blurb.com and just type in 52 cameras in 52 weeks and it will come up. You can buy the soft cover book or the hard cover book, whatever your price range. I sprung for the soft cover because I'm too busy buying film. So just a shout out to Tony. Good project. Thumbs up. Good on you, mate. Yep. Sprockets. You know, in the past, we've talked about sprockets. I got a letter from Rob Albrecht. Rob says, you know, I'm listening to your podcast. Great stuff. I love shooting 35mm in my Holga 120N because of sprockets. He went to the Google to find out different ways of shooting 35mm film in a 120 camera. 
specifically the Holga. Here is the Holga 120N, the standard Holga. And in order to shoot sprockets, which is basically shooting the entire strip of film, sprocket holes, sprockets and all, and all, shooting the whole thing, you know, the question is how would you do it? And here it is. Take off the back of your Holga camera. And in the case of the Holga, which is perfect for this type of photography, uh, I went and bought, I went to sprocketholerevolution.com and I bought the actual adapters, which are a bit dear. They're about uh, $13 US. <gasps> And what they are, a lot of people have asked. Oh my God! Well, what are they? You know, they're I, cigarette. I, I'm going to order them online, but there's no picture of them. And what they are is little itty bitty adapters. Look at that. Just fit right in there between the. Uh... These are really easy to lose. Look at that. Yeah. These are really easy to lose, and when I'm not using them, I keep them stuck in a a uh, you know a crap roll of film, you know a test roll, just so I don't lose them. Yeah. So thirteen bucks a pop. Sure. Yeah. People are like oh. oh man, these things are really expensive. You know what? I've had these for over a year, and and they work. So since they work, why the heck not? Thirteen bucks isn't yeah. that and much. You put your roll of thirty-five <clears throat> millimeter film, and that keeps your film firmly in place. Now, Rob developed his own method of sprocket hole photography. All he did was take some foam rubber and a scissor and he cut little cubes. Oh yeah. So and he put little cubes of foam rubber to hold uh, the thirty five millimeter roll of film uh, in the back of it. That's a good idea. It's brilliant. Now brilliant. sprocket hole photography of course is yeah. your your take up reels here uh. and you can see you shoot you know, you're shooting the entire length of film the, it's a Black void. Yeah, it's a black void here. Right, uh, there you, you go. See that? Yeah, there's the film. And um, so Rob said, you don't need to buy the, the sprocket hole revolution. You could kind of jimmy rig it yourself with a little ingenuity and a pair of scissors and some foam. He does say, go to squarefrog.co.uk has some information on how, about how to do this as well. That's squarefrog.co.uk. And... Here is uh, a uh, roll of film that I shot through my Holga sprocket hole, going real tight. That is uh, Joe Colbeck and 42nd Street Pete at the um, English Town, New Jersey. Oh, no kidding. At the uh, flea market? Flea market. Oh, I used to love going now, there. Now, you can see that red square very easily, and that's because I forgot to properly tape the back of my Holga, uh, and it created a massive square light leak on my image. Even though that's effed up, as they would say. I looks mean, pretty cool. Some people think it's pretty cool, you know? That's what you're looking for, yeah, though, right? Yeah, if you're looking for kind of oddball kind of stuff. So what you're telling people is maybe you want to eff it up. That, Dwayne, that's exactly maybe you wanna, right. Maybe you're going, hey, you know what you want to do today? I'm going to consciously eff up. A lot of people are having a What's lot of... my abs? A lot of people having a lot of fun shooting, kind of out there winging it, mm -hmm. shooting on you know 35 millimeter film in a 120 camera to get the whole sprockets. Sprockets. John, you gonna stick around for our discussion I, of? I, um, I gotta go. You gotta go. I gotta go. John's leaving us, folks. Can I say why? No. Go ahead. Why? Tell us. Yeah, go ahead, John. Going to see the Decemberists. Oh. What's that? What's they, that? They're involved with the Impossible, or can, they were a couple of months back. Can you tell me first of all who the Decemberists are and yeah. uh, what was going on with Impossible? They're a band from Portland, Oregon. Um, they're kind of like a folky indie band. Okay. But they're rock and roll too. But they got involved. Their their latest album that was released in January for the deluxe edition. They had an LP, a CD, and some one of one of a kind photographs. Maybe you'll remember the photographer's name that were shot with Impossible Project. Okay. Uh, Polaroids. Okay. That came in 
in the box set. I think you got two photos. No kidding. Uh, you, you get two original photos in the box yeah. set? And I think there might be a box set or two available still. You'd have to go to the Decemberist.com to check it out. They're a great band. Really wow. good band. Where are you seeing them? Uh, at the Beacon Theater. Oh, you go to the city. Uptown, yeah. What kind wow. of music, John, would you... It's like indie music, but the, the lead singer-songwriter, Colin Malloy... I'm probably mispronouncing that, but he was kind of like a it, a literature guy. So there's a lot. There's some songs about a guy in the belly of a whale, and then songs about uh, you know sea shanties, and songs <laughs> about like cemeteries. You okay, know. it's like re, It's like listening if someone put like Edgar Allan Poe stuff to music. Okay, well that's where you go, and that's why you have to yeah. leave us. Yeah, they're great. This is my fourth time seeing them. John's leaving us. He's seen the band already three times, and he's leaving. Yeah. Are, are you a groupie? I've been here 27 times. So. Okay, that's true. I've only seen them four. Well, been you here have a good time. I will. Run. All right. Thank, Thank you, John. Thank, Thank you. you. Right, Thank we'll you, John. We'll see you next month. Thank you, John. Good luck and God bless. Thank you, John. Okay. Hey, Mike Rosso here. Have you heard about the FPP 2011 calendar? Oh, yeah. That's right, it's full color, 8.5 by 11, and you could have your very own copy. How? By donating to the Film Photography Podcast. Help keep us running strong in 2011 and beyond. Go to filmphotographypodcast.com, click the Donate button, and see details of how to get your very own FPP calendar. All donations received go right back to the Film Photography Podcast to keep us running strong through 2011 and beyond and beyond 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 and beyond super positive oh yeah a lot of folks out there who still are hoarding Kodachrome film have questions like what am I going to do with Kodachrome film paperweight <laughs> you know what the most shocking thing is Dwayne I, I, the most shocking thing is after December 30th uh, Dwayne the price of Kodachrome I thought it was going to drop to pennies mm-hmm. it went up why? People are spending like eight, nine, ten, fifteen dollars on a roll. For what? It must be some kind of collector mentality now. Very strange. I can't imagine that they're processing it as black and white because you could, there are much easier ways to get an incremental increase in sharpness in film than to try to pro the, the just the messy, well, inefficient way of processing code. At, at first, I was gung ho about it, but I have to tell you, after doing some tests uh, with our friends over at uh, Blue Moon Camera in Portland, Oregon. And our friend Spencer at Sharp Photo uh-huh. in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Claire, the moment I met you, I swear. Spencer did a whole report. I sent him a roll of film. He did a whole report for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll tell you the bottom line of my feeling of it really quick. Let me just go through the process. I sent uh, Spencer a roll of uh, Kodachrome 25. He did a uh, pre-wash. And he said, uh, note, note that lots of crap was removed from the film when we poured this pre-wash out. Because Kodachrome film, very much like motion picture film, has an additional layer. So uh, in the pre-wash, a lot of gunk came off. Then he developed it in T-Max Developer. One to four mm-hmm. at uh, 20 degrees Celsius for six minutes, 30 seconds. By the way, this is on our show notes, uh, all this information, if you wanted to just see what the process is. Did stop bath and extra rinse, and he squeegeed the remaining black goop off the film, and then he rinsed an additional three to five minutes. Then he used photo flow, and then the experimentation part. He said, we can see the exposures on the roll, but only when we, rev- when we view the film in direct light on an angle. I spoke to my dad, the big cheese at Sharp Photo. 
photo, and Steve, the film guru, and they decided to use a C41 bleach solution. So they did a bleach rinse for 1 minute 45 seconds, followed by heavy rinse and photo flow rinse, then back into what's known as a film dryer. Uh, once the film dried, the negs were much more satisfactory. And this is an actual image. This is uh, an image from my film. It's a shot of my 16 millimeter library uh, from that roll of Kodachrome 25 color film. It was decent. It was decent. Spencer was kind enough to, every time they did the test, as they moved along in the process, he did a scan. So I saw the difference between uh, this final rinse with the bleach and the pre-bleach uh, image. The bottom line, and my feeling about the whole thing is, I don't feel this is going to take off as a trend or, or be trendy or, or something that, uh, outside of curiosity. Well, it's too, it's too complicated and it's too messy. Yeah, I mean, why I, would you want to put yourself through that? I think, Dwayne, you're correct. I think that there are easier ways to get a satisfactory black and white image. I mean, you, you could even shoot color print film and, and process it in caffeinol, uh and get a, a experimental, you know, kind of a, a black and white, a decent black and white image if you want to shoot black and white. I, I don't know. It just seems like it's more trouble than it's worth. Uh, Spencer at, at Sharp, is his feeling is, he's like, well, if you guys have the Kodachrome, bring it on. He's like, send it over to us. And we'll uh, develop it for you and put it through this process. And Sharp Photo, they're very, you know, the prices are very good, easily accessible, easily send them their film, send film, send it in as black and white processing. You can go to sharpphoto.net and uh, download an order form if you have some Kodachrome sitting around and you want to get it processed. There's currently a group on, uh, on Flickr.com that's run by John Meadows. I believe it's called uh, something like Kodachrome as Black and White, where you could post your black and white images that were shot on Kodachrome film. So it's an interesting experiment. I I guess if you're doing it at home and you kind of want to experiment and kind of see what, what's going on and what it's like to have all this gunk come off your film. Got some Kodachrome. I'm in a gunky mood. Let's give it a shot. Exactly. And it's time now for uh, our dark room corner uh, to discuss processing at home. And I do have some letters from some listeners, but uh, why don't you do your presentation first and then I'll read some letters. Well, it's, it, it's not so much a presentation as it is a tip. Yeah. You know, people oftentimes say, what developers should I use for yes. different for different reasons? And uh, one of the most tried and true formulas ever is D76. Have you heard of D76? Uh, I have heard of D76. D76 used to be sold by Kodak in a big metal foil lined yellow packet. I do remember. The, the, the magic powder formula, that's D76. And you mix it, you mix up a quart or a gallon. Mm-hmm. And usually would dilute it one to one. Okay. And it was probably the best all time developer with Plus X Pan film. Do you remember Plus X Pan film? I do. 125 ASA, very, yes. very uh, fine grained, high sharpness film. I used it in college. And uh, for, I think, a period of time, Kodak D76 fell out of favor because people were using HC110. It was a liquid. You mixed a concentrate. Then you, you, you further diluted it to dilution B. Then you went ahead and processed your film. You didn't have to worry about the powder. Right. You know, some people were afraid of the powder. Was it in a square plastic uh, container or how was it? What did I remember buying it in a in a yellow packet. What color is D D seventy six? It's a white powder. Okay. It's four different kinds of substances. Okay. And you mix it in warm water, and then uh, usually a gallon, and then you dilute it one to one, usually depending upon. Uh, how you want to process the mm -hmm, film. Mm -hmm. But as I said, it fell out of favor. A lot of people used HC-110 mm -hmm. or they went over to Kodak made at T-Max developers and they came up with X-Tall a while back. I always felt D76 was a great developer. 
because it maintained pretty much full emulsion speed. A lot of times you'll rate something and say it's a 125 speed film like Plus X, you're rated at 125, maybe the shadow detail isn't there. You know, maybe they said it's a little faster than it really is because sometimes manufacturers of film will do that as a selling point. D76 always gave you really what they call full emulsion speed. It was one of the best developers for giving you as close to that ASA as you possibly could get. Plus, some of the most beautiful tonality ever. It wasn't overly contrasty, you know, nice, smooth, mm. even tonality. And the great thing I like about D76 is, although I use other developers, like I've used Rodinal, I've used Tmax Developer, I've used AccuFine, I've used Accu1, I've used Edwell FG7, I can always mix D76 because I bought the raw components and I keep them in amber glass jars. And wow. the stuff keeps... I don't want to say forever, right? but if you keep it under the proper conditions of no light, keep one of those silica gel packets in yes, there, yes. it's always ready to be used, and it's so easy to mix. You don't even need a scale to where you can con convert grams to teaspoons, and you can just measure out the D76 whenever you want, and it's always there ready to be used. And D76 has four components. It's metol, it's hydroquinone, it's sodium sulfite, and borax, or you can also use sodium metabisulfite. And these things are readily available from the photographer's formulary, and they're pretty darn cheap. For those of you who don't know, the photographer's formulary is a company, I believe they're still out of Montana, Interesting. that sells bulk chemistry for people who want to do something precisely like this, and they want to investigate alternative processes. Just go to the photographersformulary.com, or call them up and they'll send you a catalog. And I, that's what I did. I just bought this stuff. I, I keep it, I bought it like 10 years ago. I still haven't used all of it. I keep it in these amber glass jars in a dark environment. And not too long ago, I mixed up some D76, worked like I bought it yesterday. So for me, it's a great thing. You know, you always have it there. Right. It's a tried and true formula. Good emulsion speed, great tonality, grain is medium. It isn't super fine. It isn't coarse. It's medium. Good, good sharpness. And it, it's great to know that it's so reliable that you always have it there. So it's something to kind of stock up on if you think you're going to be processing a lot of film. Maybe you want to wait a while. I want to come back to it in a few months. Right. You know it's still there. You know it's still good. So that's why I like D76. And is D76 still being sold today? I don't know. I think Kodak is phasing out. I know they definitely got out of certain product lines in their black and white photo finishing division. I don't think they sell D76 anymore. I think they still do HC110. I think they still do T-Max. I think they still do X-Tall. I've not seen... D76 in a yellow packet in a long, long time. eBay, most likely, right? Probably eBay. So uh, if you're doing developing at home and it's really like your hobby, mm -hmm. you're saying that maybe uh, you'd want to try it. You'd want to try it. I mean, it isn't something that you, you oh, this is the wrong developer. It will work for pretty much anything. Right. Do, you, do you think that photographers who are developing at home, do you kind of get into uh, a mode of you find a developer that works for you and you kind of stick with it, you become a fan of it? Or do you think folks that are developing at home kind of will try... I think, it's, I think it's one or the other. Either people become loyal to a certain film developer combination and they never want to change. And when something is threatened to be taken off the market, they lament, they protest, they can't handle it. Or people just try different things all the time. Like the right. way you are with cameras, you always want to try yes. a new camera. Yes. They always want to try a new film. They always want to try a new developer simply because they enjoy doing it. Yep. They want to find out, yep. oh, I wonder what this is going to do. 
Oh, plus, oh, I found some old Plus X Pen on eBay, and I want to try right. it with uh, with Rodinal. I wonder what that would look like. You know, and not every developer is good with every film. Right. You think it would be, but it, it, some of them are not. But I've tried uh, TMX uh, 100 with Kodak D76, and it's amazing. Really? Oh, amazing. Now, so it's almost 100 <clears throat> speed. The sharpness is incredible. Of course, the, the Kodak brands will work best with Kodak brands. Theoretically, yeah. But you, if you to. develop a role of Agfa or... Uh, Ilford black and white film you'll experience good results as well right? It will always work right? it will always work you're never going to go oh there's no image on the film and how much D76 do you have stockpiled? Me, I have liter, one to two liter black amber glass jars filled to the brim, pretty much. Right, wow. And what are you currently, if you were to go home and develop today, would you use would you use D76 or would you use something else? What do I have now? I, I have, of course, that D76. I have some HC-110. I have some Rodinol. Interesting. Are you, uh, how about some uh, listener uh, letters about home developing? Sure. This is from Dan Domi. We know Dan. Yes, we do. We know Dan on Facebook. He, he, you've met him in person. Yes, he's been have? on the show. Since the podcast, seems to be heading a bit more towards home black and white process. I was wondering about uh, developing and I had a question. Suppose you have two different films that have the same development times for a particular developer. For example, let's say they both take six minutes in HC-110 Dilution B. Could you develop two rolls of these different films at the same time? Of course, there's nothing stopping you from doing it. I guess I'm imagining that it's possible for one emulsion to react differently to the developer than the other emulsion, such as one roll gets underdeveloped and the other one gets overdeveloped. So he, his question is, two different types of film, two different brands of film, two different speeds of film, whatever. Can you sink them in the tank at the same time? Sure. There's no reason why you, you can't. There, is, there isn't going to be some adverse reaction with one film coming in contact with the solution that right. comes in contact with the other one. Okay. Nothing bad's going to happen. There you have it, you might You might, however, see some funky colored dye okay. come out when you pre-soak, because these films have anti-halation dye, right. Ilford's a notoriously blue-black, Kodak is notoriously magenta, so you might see something weird. You get a different blend. Different blend of dye. Yes. Uh, kind of like scotch. Ivan, Ivan Garcia says, Can you talk about your agitation technique? I've been developing film for about three years, and out of curiosity, I looked up some agitation techniques. I noticed I noticed a lot of guys do it differently. Yes, they do. So, Dwayne, how do you agitate? Well, <laughs> some people, we were talking about stand development before. That's no agitation at all. Right. Some people like to, to pour the dilute developer in the tank and walk away for 10 minutes. I'll come back in 10 minutes. It'll be fine. Right. Some people like to use what's called the torus inversion method. Have you heard of that? No. If you're developing roll film in a small tank, you grasp the top of the tank and you turn it upside down and you kind of rotate. Rotate your wrist a little bit. No kidding. Yes. So what you're doing is you're inverting the tank and you're rotating. I believe it's called torus inversion. I mean, just like that? Just Gen- like that. So it's just like, like a, that. It's almost like a, like a meditation. Yes, you do it once every 30 seconds, maybe once every 60 seconds. I yes. like constant rota- agitation because I use a rotary base. Okay. And I use a unicolor print drum. And I insert the sheets of film into the slots on the side of the drum. I pour in the chemistry and it's constantly rotating. Because I like to use tabular grain films and I've read that you get the most even development when you're using uh, constant agitation 
with a tabular grain film like T-Max 100 or 400. So some people like no agitation at all. Some people like intermittent agitation with the little flip and rotate method. Some people like constant agitation. Right. They use a rotary processor like a Jobo or they use some sort of motor base. Right. Okay. Well, thank okay. you for the answer. You're quite welcome, Mike. Uh, a, a listener, Adam, he wants to know if we know anything about a Bessler drum because it, w- it was available on Craigslist. He's not clear if it's for processing film or he doesn't even know if it's for processing paper he doesn't know what it's for most of the bessler equipment you see that says drum in it it's what's called a bessler color drum and it comes with a motor base and the drums were generally used to process cibachrome prints okay we talked about cibachrome last month i would say that they're generally for prints i've not seen a bessler drum to process film because bessler made enlargers Right. Bessler 23C2 probably being the best-selling enlarger of all time. I think that's what it's for. Right. I mean, there might be a film drum from Bessler, but I've never seen one. Right. Well, fantastic. And that's that's uh, what we have for today in the home development Outstanding. department. I think a lot of FPP listeners are uh, running to freestyle.com. Freestyle. And if you're in California, you could actually run into their store, picking up a lot of uh, home development supplies to try to give this a go. Uh, I personally, I'm going to start with the, with the coffee, oh, caffeinol. It's not the way to go, Mike. Well, it's, it kind of appeals to me. It's our, grainy, 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 grainy stuff. Our good friend uh, grainy Darren stuff, Pancho Riley wrote a blog for us. It's on our, uh, on our blog site. I read it. He got very nice results with it. He did, didn't he? He did, yes. So you, you don't think all, all results might vary, you're saying? For some reason, in caffeinol, the stuff that's in, in coffee, yes. it can develop, it can, you know, it can reduce exposed silver halides and, and make a negative. Right. But I just read it's very grainy. Okay. You know, it's almost like you intentionally made that negative as grainy as possible. Right. So if you're looking for super fine grain, you're not going to get it. Right. I mean, I guess that's what you're looking for if, if you want that kind of... You like that kind of stuff, Kind though. of grit. You, yeah, I think, you, I think you would like, you know, my Holga, the dreamy lens, the gritty film. Right. Let's just see what's going to happen with Let's it. Let's grind it up. Grind it up. Yep. Absolutely. Let's put it in the queasy note and grind it up. Yep. So I think you, if you like that kind of experimental approach, I think you, you, you give it a shot. Right. We're here at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com, our website, filmphotographypodcast.com. We encourage folks to write in to say hi. Uh, you listen to the show, first time listening to the show, regular listener but never wrote in. Uh, please do drop us a line. I always, always, always love to hear from you folks. Don't forget about our contests. Um, we're giving away three cameras this month. We're giving them away next show. So there's not too much time to send your entries. Entries in for the Holga 120N, which was um, donated uh, by our friend Jason. Uh, the Olympus Trip 35 camera, the amazing cult camera, Trip 35. A lot of folks on threads say, what is a cult camera? What defines a cult camera? Well, the Olympus Trip 35 certainly qualifies as a cult camera. That was donated by our good friend and listener, Ian Cook, from the UK. Let's not forget about the Diana Plus camera that was donated to Film Photography Podcast by our good friends at Lomography.com. So that's fantastic. I'm thrilled that we have that camera up. I'm currently shooting with my uh, vintage uh, Diana that I uh, nicked off of eBay.com. Don't forget, if you want to get a film sample uh, from the various folks here who uh, are listeners that have donated film to the podcast, it's a big pool of film... It's listener-donated film. It's film photography podcast-donated film. It's our donation film bank. Just send us an email saying, hey, I'd like to get some film. And then each month, starting March 1st, we're going to pick two winners every month to win film. So very cool things happening here. 
and is freezing here in New Jersey, USA, and uh, looking forward to March when it starts to get a little warmer and I can resume my photo walks. Dwayne and I are going to go out. Dwayne's going to shoot with the Holga, first time ever. In fact, we're going to save shooting with the Holga for the first time ever until that event. It's going to be like an event. It'll be an event. Dun, dun, dun. What do I do with this thing? It doesn't have a ground glass. Yes. So quickly thank the folks involved uh, with the Film Photography Podcast, our technical director today and director of the video end of things, our new experiment, uh, Jeff C. Hey, Jeff. Thanks very much for uh, your time. And our good friend, Joey K. And behind the scenes, we have Paige Davis doing all sorts of research and web-based stuff for what's going to become... This whole production's getting to be huge, Mike. Going to become... like in a television studio. You know what I want to do in the upcoming year? I want to do a blurb book. That, you know what? I've just, I was really, the past two or three weeks, I was, look, was looking into it. Blur book by Dwayne Polkio. I'm holding Tony Kemplin's book. I could see sort of a bigger, hardcover, Dwayne Polkio blur book. Could will it be? Will it be all of your landscapes? Yes. Wow. It'll be like Dwayne Polkio's uh, American, American Southwest. Something, something like that, yeah. Yeah. I think my view camera images of Arizona and Utah and California yeah. would be a nice collection. Yeah. Do you think you'll be talking about, like, the tonality, what film you used, or... You know, you have to... I think a little bit, because I think people like... like They really like to hear, like, how you did something. Right. You know, if you just put images out there, it's sort of like, what, you couldn't talk about it? <laughs> right. Well, uh, you know, you... So I, I think, you know, a little bit a little bit of discourse about how things are done are always appreciated. Yeah. Because photographers buy these books. Whenever I sell prints on eBay, it's, it's always somebody from Europe who buys them, it seems. They're, they're, a oh, lot of people yeah. from France, they love the Southwest. Southwest. That's what I was, uh, that's what I was saying. It's, and it's... someone said to me it's because travel bureaus in Europe sell package deals really, really hard sell those deals to people in Europe to visit the American Southwest. Right. If you've ever been out there, like to the Grand Canyon or Yosemite, right. people from Germany, people from France. Is that right? Yeah. You know, you just German and France all over the place. Right. They're checking out the, the historic American Southwest, which is rich yeah. with all sorts of history. Uh, you know, Western, are there Western towns out there? I would say, sure, there are ghost towns. Ghost towns, I yeah. was on the internet last night looking at Rhyolite, Nevada. Really? Rhyolite, Nevada. Rhyolite, Nevada was a town at the turn of the century with 10,000 people. Right. And within two years, it went down to like a couple of hundred because sil- it was based on mining silver and the silver future market it just crashed wow. like overnight and there are all these old buildings left. they just abandoned the towns people left the miners lost their jobs the mines closed they were undercapitalized they had no money to keep them open that they built schools they built buildings that were like a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars a piece they used to mine the masonry and haul it in from vegas on you know horse-drawn carts and then hire people to erect these these you know, office buildings right, and stuff right, in the middle right. of the desert, in the middle of the barren desert. It was really costly to build this town, and in two years, gone. Wow. So I was looking at pictures of Rylight Nevada saying, someday I want to go out there with my view camera and just take pictures of it because it looked so cool. Yeah, ghost towns, Mike. To answer your question, yes. there are towns And you can there. photograph those as well. You can photograph ghost towns. There yeah. are there are Western towns. So there are cities, there are tarantulas, there's canyons, there's rattlesnakes. Yes. I think that's a great idea, the book. Oh, thank you. So uh, well uh, I want to thank everyone for uh, tuning in to this episode of the show and uh, we'll see you in two weeks two on weeks. March 1st for our amazing giveaways and uh, we'll, we'll be announcing a uh, all new contest every month we have fantastic o- con- contests uh, sometimes sponsored by us sometimes sponsored by our fabulous listeners sometimes sponsored by folks like Lomography.com or Freestyle or thanks everybody and uh, we'll see you in two weeks thank you again and we will see you in two weeks on behalf of John thank you yes also. John who Got ran out leave. on us had to leave yeah, he had to leave
<laughs> to go see the Decemberists. Okay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>